Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Well, I'm thankful for the life-changing power of Christ. And uh, I'm thankful that as we read in the Gospels the way He changed people's life, and sometimes in quite dramatic fashion, I mean, people possessed with demons, and He cured them. Um, people that were blind, and He healed them. People that were deaf, and He gave them their hearing back. But, you know, he's done the same thing for each and every one of us. And uh, he still has that same life-changing power this morning, and I'm thankful for that. You know, it's, it's encouraging to know that you can't bring a case that's too bad to the Lord, that he can't help you, uh, that he's not sufficient to forgive your sins, and that's a blessing this morning. And uh, I'm thankful for our Redeemer, for our Savior, that you and I get to serve, you and I get to uh, exalt and worship this morning. And I am thankful for that, and I appreciate the song. We're going to be in the book of James this morning uh, in our preaching, James chapter number 2. If you would turn there with me, if you have a copy of the Word of the Lord with you, James chapter number 2. <clears throat> as you find your place, if you'd like to stand with me this morning uh, as we read the Word of the Lord. James chapter number 2, begin reading verse number 1. And uh, we'll read the first 13 verses of the chapter. The Bible says this, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For, she, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Thank you for standing with me this morning. You may be seated. When you, when you grow up, if you have brothers and sisters, you're always, always on the lookout for favoritism. As a child, if you ever notice a parent doing something for one of your siblings, a brother or a sister, that they don't immediately do for you, or they show them some kind of special attention that they don't immediately show you, we love to accuse our parents of playing favorites. I'll be honest, I'm 24 years old, and I'll still call out my parents if I feel like they do something for one of my brothers that they don't do for me. We love to point out favoritism. Favoritism bothers us, and most of the time, for the most part, that's a, we, we do that in a playful context, but we still notice things when somebody treats somebody else differently than they treat us. We, as, as not my particular case as of yet, but you as a parent, I'm sure that's something you're very particular about, very cautious about, is not showing favoritism among and within your children. And I'm sure that's easy as you don't love one more than the other. 
But maybe you, I had this experience growing up. My grandparents, uh, my grandmother especially, if she ever bought me something, she bought my brothers something of the same amount. A lot of times exact same thing. So we couldn't argue about anything. We didn't have to share it, but that's the way things kind of operated. And so I had three, four, bro three brothers, there's four of us, so that could get expensive. So kids kind of have you in a bind, don't they? You want to show them that they're special to you, they mean something to you, but at the same time you don't want to make somebody else feel not as special to you. So it's just a whole predicament that you find yourself in so that you don't make one feel more special than the other. Maybe that's what you do as parents. If you buy one kid something, you're either going to give another child money of the equivalent value. I mean, you're going to do what you got to do to make sure that nobody thinks that you love one person more than the next. Because if that was seriously an accusation placed against you, it would break your heart to think that one of your children thought that you didn't love them as much as one of your other children. That would, that would bother you. That would upset you. And I think rightfully so. You've ever heard anybody talking about a coach and they might be a great coach they might have all the best strategies all the best best methods in coaching but if they play favorites there is going to be a lot of bad things said about that coach you've you've probably heard that before that's one thing that people notice about a coach of any kind of team and any sport quickly is if they play favorites if they only play the kids whose they they know whose parents offer the most money to the team or whose kids maybe seem to to always just uh just quickly fall into line with everything they do. They, if the coach plays favorites, favorites, they will be talked about, they will be ridiculed quicker than, than anybody else. And if we don't allow favoritism in our home and we don't allow it on ball fields, why would we allow it in our churches? Favoritism has absolutely no place within the congregation of God's people, and James chapter number 2 makes that clear to you and I. The book of James is about putting our faith into action. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. James 2.17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. The message of the book of James is that, our, is that true, genuine faith will impact our lives. If you have truly been converted and truly been born again, there will be changes made in your life because that's just the essence of true faith. And one area in which our faith plays itself out or lives itself out is in our relationship with other people. As Warren Wiersbe said, one of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. And you and I should be careful to make sure that our faith leads us to treat others the way that God would have us to treat them. And that means not showing favoritism, especially within the congregation of believers. So per James' instruction here in this opening verses of chapter number 2, how do we know that favoritism has no place in the church. The favoritism should not be characteristic of our congregation. Well, for one this morning, that favoritism, he explains in verses 1 through 4, is evil. He says, my brethren, it's, he's, he's, get straight to the point. He says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today, we assume we're uniting together in this faith, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if you have this faith of our Lord, the Lord of glory, have it not with respect of persons. The idea of respecting someone, it, it's synonyms for it is partiality or favoritism. The idea is that you look at somebody and you base your opinion on them, you base your treatment of them, and the only basis for that treatment is something you see on the external factors of their life. As he's going to allude to as he introduces a picture or a scenario for us in verses in verse number two and three. This respecting of persons has to do with an opinion you base on someone, a judgment you base upon someone, and all that is based upon is a, as John MacArthur said, a superficial external basis 
such as, appear, such as appearance, race, wealth, rank, social status. And what James is saying is you cannot rightfully carry out a biblical faith and show favoritism. Base your opinion upon people, your treatment upon people about these external things. Now what does favoritism in the church look like? How does that play itself out? Well, James paints a picture in verses 2 and 3 of what he's talking about. He's going to bring life to the scene, if you will, bring a practical application into our mind to help us understand what he is trying to teach us. He gives us the picture in verse number 2. A man, a man walks into your assembly, and he's wearing a gold ring. And in our day even, still yet, if somebody walks in here wearing a gold ring, that's a status of wealth. And I read in studying that these individuals, they would have rings on every finger. Pure gold, so just a sign of their wealth. He comes in, the Bible says he's wearing goodly apparel. And that word goodly speaks of it being splendid or shining, magnificent or gorgeous. When they walk in, you notice them. And you, they walk in and they're, they're well kept. And you can tell they, they have a lot of money. They, especially in this day, they would have had high, the hygiene would have been good because they had the money and means to afford those things. Their clothes were, were just perfect. They had all the name brand stuff. And they, they, they walk in and they look good. They as we might say, they have it going on. They got money. Everything that we think of as worldly success, they have it, and they walk into the congregation. But then also, at the end of verse number two, there comes in a man, a poor man, somebody on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, and they have on vile raiment. The word vile means shabby, dirty, or filthy. They might walk in and have rips or tears in their clothes. They may not smell the best. Their hair might not be... It, their hair might be unkept. It's evident that they don't have a ton of earthly resources. So these two people walk into a congregation. Now here's what James is saying cannot happen. How we treat people is very, very important. How we respond to people is, a, is important. It's not just a matter of being nice. It's, it's a matter of carrying out our biblical faith. And if we'll be honest, our tendency is, is we're going to leave. If somebody walked in here, and, and we maybe don't want to admit it, but if somebody walks in here and they, walk, they look like this, this person who's a poor man in vile raiment, and over here walks in somebody that looks like they have a lot of money. Maybe they drove in in a car that you know that's an expensive car. Maybe you know them and you know they have a lot of money. You know them more personally than even just their appearance. Our tendency is going to be to gravitate towards them. Whether we want to admit it verbally or not, or even, we, even if we like the fact or not. We walk up the other person, maybe they don't smell great, maybe they're dirty. We're not, probably not going to be as friendly to them as we are to the, poor, the rich man that walks in. That's what James is saying takes place in verse number three. You have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, that goodly clothing, that splendid, that magnificent, that costly clothing. And you say unto him, so we walk up, he walks in, and we, we go escort him in, and we bring him up here to the front. We say, this is the best seat in the house. You sit down. We're so glad you're here. We're thankful that you came today. Will you make yourself right at home? And we, everybody comes by and shakes their hand and just makes them feel so welcome, and so we're so happy that they're here, and we should do that. But on the other side of that, notice what they tell the poor person. They said, the poor person walks in, and, and we say, well, there's a spot back over there in the corner. You can go stand back there. Or even better than that, they say, we got you a nice, we got you a real nice spot right over here on the floor. Why don't you come sit down over here? That's what he means by I sit under my footstool. Saying, why don't you come sit in the floor? And again, they don't, they don't know, this is, this, their judgment, their, their treatment of these people is completely based on the fact of how they look. And James says, this cannot happen. 
Because he says in verse number 4, Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Those, those judgments you just made about those people are based off evil thoughts. And that's why James says this such treatment cannot happen. If we do this, we are, are we not partial, making distinctions within ourselves and have become judges of evil thoughts. The point, the point that he's making is not that you and I should have a problem with rich people. Now some of us may subconsciously, because I guess it's covetousness, we wish we had that financial means. But James is not saying you should have a problem with, with rich people. You should have an issue with people with a lot of money. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, is nobody should walk into this congregation and feel any more welcome or for any more special or like feel like we're any more excited that they're here than anybody else. If somebody walks in here and they got a pair of shorts on and a t-shirt that doesn't look like it's, it's on its first legs, as the saying goes, they should be just as welcomed, just as loved, just as respected as somebody walks in here in a nice suit and a nice tie. Because to nod is to show favoritism. And James says that is based off evil thoughts. Somebody may walk in here one day in this congregation and you know, you know things are going on in their life that are not in accordance with our faith. Does that mean we should turn our back on them? Maybe even subconsciously people's walked in and we've kind of thought, man, what are they doing here? Maybe we've even thought in our mind, they don't belong here. James says it should not be. That's favoritism. He says, in doing so, you become partial in yourself. No one should walk into our congregation and feel, and feel as if they are not as good, valuable, or worthy as someone else. Nobody should feel more special. Nobody should come in here and feel like we're more, we are more glad that they're here than anybody else. That's what James is teaching us. Now, we can't imagine literally telling somebody, you know, we got you a spot over here in the corner. You can go stand back there. Like right here's you a good spot on the floor. But this, we carry this out a lot of times in other ways. As in we may not go out of our way so much to speak to that person who walks in that seems as not as well off as the next. And James says it cannot be so. He says, do not have the faith of our Lord, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. And if he's having to speak to that, that means it happened in the early church, James being one of the earliest letters of the New Testament, it happened then, so we must be aware of it today. Must be on guard against it and not let it happen. God is clear that he has no respect of persons. Romans 2.11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. And Peter, when he was describing God, this is in Acts chapter number 10, God was teaching him this very lesson. And Peter said this, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And if you go read Acts 10, God teaches him this very lesson. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. If God is not a respecter of persons, it only makes sense that we can't actively and correctly carry out our faith, being so ourselves. As James says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. But also, favoritism has no place in the church because it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Look at verse number 5. 
Hearken, my beloved brethren. Again, he's trying to get our attention. Listen up, my brothers. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? It makes no sense of us to neglect the poor. Or whatever, whatever. We, we might even make our distinctions, distinctions based off other things. They based it off financial status. And we might make distinctions about people based off other things. But whatever those distinctions might be, he says, I mean, why, why would we do that? Let me ask you this question. Does God neglect the poor when it comes to salvation? Does God only save the rich? Does God show favoritism when it comes to salvation? I can testify to you that he most definitely does not, or I would not be one of his this morning. And I'm sure you would say the same thing. The poor, God don't have a sad little corner reserved for the poor over in heaven. God, when, when the poor get to heaven, God's not going to say, I have you a great spot right over here on the floor. Why don't you find your way there? It's not going to happen. If God don't treat us vile, dirty, filthy sinners that way, why would we as sinners treat other sinners that way? If God's not going to treat the poor as if they get a sad little corner in heaven, why should we treat anyone as if they only deserve a sad little isolated corner here on earth? I mean, can you imagine, as you've, as you've read your Bible and studied and, and look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine him ever going to somebody and saying, you know, here's your, here's your spot on the floor, or over there in the corner, why don't you go stand back there? That is, that's just not who God is. So why would we act that way? Why do we think that's acceptable the scattered believers that James is writing to were acting this very way it's so against God's nature to treat people the way that James is describing in these verses in fact as you go through the gospels the thing that the Lord did that upset people the most was he went to the people who everybody was like they're not worth it I thought about in John 4 the woman at the well everybody was upset that the Lord talked to her the very person everybody was said, here's your spot on the floor, that's the one the Lord went to, that's the, Lord, the, the one the Lord used. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, he goes to the people that everybody else was like, write them off. So it makes no sense for there to be favoritism in the church because that goes against the God we serve and His nature. God surely doesn't despise the poor. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yet in things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. How thankful you and I should be that God does not despise the poor. Because that is our hope today. It is, the reason you and I have hope is because God doesn't treat the poor the way the poor were being treated in the early church. But not only does treating people with partiality not make sense because it's just against God's nature, it's against the God we serve, but he says in verse number 6, you despise the poor, but he says, do rich men not oppress you? Do they not draw you before the judgment seat? So if we are going to show favoritism, usually we show favoritism towards people who are easy to be favorable towards. James is getting on this early church because he's, think, he's saying the rich, are not, the rich take you to court, the rich oppress you, the rich are hard on you, and yet you still show them favoritism. He says that just doesn't make any sense. 
And it's the same way in our churches today. Favoritism, partiality, just do not add up. He says in verse 7, they, these rich people that they were showing favor, favoritism towards, they even blasphemed that worthy name by which they were called. They made light of the name of Christ. They made light of their faith. And yet if they ever walked into one of their assemblies, they were ushered over to them and welcomed them in, met, rolled out the red carpet as we say for those rich individuals who blasphemed the name of the Savior that they served. And then finally this morning, the reason that we know that partiality has no place in the church, in verse number 8 and through 13, you see God provided us a solution to favoritism. If God wanted, if God does it, if God has provided us an alternative to favoritism, that speaks to the fact for you and I that it has no place in our churches and in our, among our congregations. Instead of treating people with favoritism, here's what the Lord says, fulfill the royal law. Fulfill, what that means is it's the king's law. Fulfill the king's law, and what is that law? It's simple. The simple answer to favoritism is in verse number 8. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, if you do this, if you will love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you do well. You're doing good. You're doing what's right when you love your neighbor as yourself. I like what Warren Wearsby said. He said, Jesus, and this is based off of Luke 10, 25 through 37, Jesus told us that our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. So our neighbor's not the person that dresses like us and looks exactly like us. And Our neighbor is whoever would walk through those doors. That's our neighbor. And we have to love them as we love ourselves. If we do that, we would never want anybody to make us feel like we're not as welcomed, or we would never want anybody to come up to us and say, hey, brother, we're glad you're here. Why don't you sit here on the floor? So if we're going to love our neighbors ourselves, we can never do that to somebody. That's why it's the cure to favoritism. If we carry out the royal law, it'll take care of this issue. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. He says, but if you have respect of persons, listen to the seriousness, you commit sin and are convinced that the law is transgressors. It's sin. It's wrong to show favoritism towards somebody, to have cliques and have divisions and all these other things that oftentimes take place. He says, we have committed sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And he explains, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So we should see the law as a united, as a united peace. Meaning it's not, it, we can't approach the law and say, well, I've done nine-tenths of it, so only felling in this one-tenth is, is not that bad. And you know, a lot of people might say, well, I might have showed favoritism, but I haven't committed adultery and I haven't murdered anyone, so that's, you know, that's not all that bad. James is saying, it's is committing sin all together. It's all the same. You have failed the law. You have transgressed the law. You have trespassed against the standard that God has set. It's, it's serious, is what he's saying. It's a serious issue. It's a serious problem. It's not something to brush off as insignificant. He says in verse 12, and I love this, so speak ye and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You see, in our faith, it's not just our words, but we're supposed to speak and do. And I think that's where we oftentimes, we, we're good at the speaking, but the key is the doing. And a lot of times I feel like we, we get stuck somewhere in the middle of speaking and, and doing. James says, what I'm, what I'm saying this morning, nobody would have come in here and said, wow, preacher, I didn't realize that. Everybody, everybody knows you don't show favoritism in the church, but the question is, living that out. That's the important issue. That's the critical step is doing it. And then he gives us the encouragement to show mercy to others. He says, are you, 
he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. A great encouragement to close the text to treat people with mercy. You know, many people would say this, this or that has no place in the church. And, and most people, they, they say that based off of their traditions and things they like, and they have no biblical foundation. They're based off of prior, uh, preferences, and they just simply think that since they don't like it, God must not like it either. But there is one thing most certainly we can say has no place in the church, biblically, and that's favoritism or partiality or respect of persons. Why? It's because... Favoritism is brought about by evil thoughts. It goes against the very character of God, and God has given us strict instructions to combat it. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we act in this way in our relationships with other people, we're taking a step towards living out our faith in a biblical way, and we're becoming doers of the word and not just hearers only. If you would, this morning, I ask you to stand with me, and Mark, if you don't mind to come around and lead us in a song. If you need to respond to the text today, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. It might be in your heart that you know you're guilty of this yourself, and you might need to repent of having shown favoritism to someone. You might want to go, and you might want to literally, personally apologize to someone who you've treated or neglected that you are aware of within your own heart. And you don't have to do it in this public setting, but it might be just an exhortation to give you, if the Lord deals with your heart in that manner, that after service you find that person. And you get things settled and you get things taken care of between you. But however the Lord may have dealt with you, if you need to come this morning as Mark leads us in a song, you respond to him. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.